Actually, Peggy was quite proud of her rebellious streak and liked to think of herself as a product of the jazz age, one of those short-haired, hard-boiled young women who preachers said would go to hell or be hanged before they were 30. However, she was now 35, and she had not gone to hell at all. In fact, she still captivated most people she met with her good humor, salty tongue, and feminine charm. That was the enigma of Peggy Mitchell Marsh. She was a curious mixture of emancipated woman and Southern Belle. Within an hour, Latham had fallen completely under her spell. Peggy drove her dented green Chevrolet at a slow, deliberate pace along the back roads that she knew so well. Chance, she thought, had her playing guide in the environs of a city that she considered as much akin as any of her own family. Medora had rung her up only a few hours earlier to say that Angus had been called away at the last moment and could not host a luncheon the journal was giving for Mr. Harold Latham of the Macmillan Publishing Company. And would Peggy be an absolute angel and step in and act as co-hostess? Peggy, never able to refuse a friend in distress, agreed. Now, as she spoke entertainingly about the history of the giant stone sculpture, she was glad she had come along. Peggy Mitchell Marsh had no idea of Latham's motives until he confessed during the course of the luncheon that he had heard she had written a novel and that he would like to see it. I have no novel, she had replied. They had gone on to discuss well-known authors and their books and had found that they had similar literary tastes. When Latham offered her a small commission if she would scout books in the Atlanta area for Macmillan, she had agreed. Latham was not discouraged when she denied having written a novel herself, for the way she had avoided looking him straight in the eye as she said it had made him certain that she was lying. And he sensed that, for all her loquaciousness, Mrs. Marsh was not a woman who could easily tell a lie. He also found himself in agreement with Lois Cole. This fiery little woman was one of the best tailbenders he had ever heard. She spoke with smooth, precise diction in a lilting southern voice, talking rapidly and with much skill. Peggy Mitchell Marsh, he decided, enjoyed being a raconteur. She was downright funny, a woman who possessed a rare sense of humor. And as she recounted the story of how, during her newspaper days, she had been tied into a bosun's chair and suspended from a sixth-floor window so that she might share the sensations of the sculptor who had carved a head on the side of Stone Mountain, he was more anxious than ever to have a look at her manuscript. No sooner had I got the feel of solid floor under my feet, she told him, but the photographer told me the slide in his camera had jammed and that he would have to reshoot. Well, I turned and faced him and stared right up into his eyes. If the fate of the whole Confederacy rested on my being hung six stories from the ground again, I declared, Sherman would have to make another march to the sea. When they were back in the car, Latham brought up the subject of her novel again, taking the chance of losing her goodwill. I hate to press, he began, but Lois Cole did say that you indeed had written a novel, and I would like very much to see the manuscript. She glanced over at him, frowning, before starting the car. 
I have to admit, I have been working on a novel, but it's too early to talk about it. Well, can you at least tell me what it's about? The South, she said. Like Tobacco Road? Any degenerates in it? He prodded. No, but there are some pretty stubborn characters who refuse to accept defeat. Why haven't you submitted your book to anyone? Latham asked. It's not ready, for one thing, and for another, I don't think it will sell because it's about a woman who is in love with another woman's husband, and they do nothing about it. And because there are only four...